Hello, I'm Denise Thompson, a member of the COSIDA Executive Board, and it is my pleasure to sit down today with COSIDA past president and current UNCG Associate Athletics Director for Strategic Communications, Rob Knotts, for a racial and social justice initiative through my Lens special podcast. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm doing great, Denise. I can't uh, emphasize how much of an honor it is to uh, have a conversation with you of all people, you know, somebody that I consider my sister and uh, just, you know, just helped me do um, so much throughout my career. So I'm, I'm excited to, to be here and I thank Profiler for this initiative and this opportunity. I appreciate it as well. So let's start off today with sharing with our listeners just kind of where you're from and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so. You know, I, I pride myself on being from Chester, Pennsylvania, which is uh, out, right outside of Philadelphia. That's why I grew up, was born and raised, uh, proud graduate of Chester High School. Uh, and, and, you know, for me, just uh, just growing up in, in Chester uh, provided me, you know, a, a, a lot of what I needed because the city of Chester, you know, is gritty, it's uh, hardworking, it's blue collar. And, um, you know, you have to you have to earn everything in, in the city of Chester. So I, I came, uh, you know, I came up with that mentality, especially growing up in the Wilmington Project of Chester, uh, Pennsylvania, which was at the time the worst project in the city of Chester. But, um, you know, I've always said that, you know, I never let my circumstances define um, my destiny or, or define where I'm from. Uh, I was fortunate to have really good parents. I was fortunate that, you know, have really good mentors and just fortunate to, um, to be surrounded by really good people. And, you know, at, at a young age, I just, you know, I had a lot of people um, that had to easily look through for inspiration and, and through those inspirations. Well, one of the inspirations was right in my own house uh, was my um, was my brother who was eight years old, you know, at the time he was battling a rare form of cancer, which he unfortunately succumbed to on um, April the 2nd, 1985. I was 11, but during those 11 months of, of how he battled and um, how his attitude was so positive and, um, you know, he... You know, you would never know, you would never know that the cancer was terminal at that time. And, um, you know, that, that just stuck with me throughout my life. And I didn't realize how much of it then stuck with me until, you know, maybe about, you know, three, four years ago when, um, when I was on the co-founder board, I started, um, you know, being able to, you know, juggle that and, and my other, and my other job and just, um, just fighting through life for everything. So that's, you know, a little bit about where I come from. Um, a little bit about me, and um, yeah, uh, so yeah, Chuck, you know, Chuck is a part of me, and you know, my family. I'm, I'm big on family. I'm big on faith. Um, I love my city. I never forget where I come from, and you know, everything that I've, uh, everything I've been fortunate to accomplish has been because of um, you know just wanting to make my city proud. Of me. I would say you took that pride and you took that passion, and you know, early on in your career. You were working at a few HBCUs. Can you just talk about what you learned and what some of the, you know, bright spots of that were that helped you once again along your career path early on? Yeah, I think, you know, work, working at HBCU, uh, well, the good thing is working at Lincoln University was, you know, the best HBCU because that's my, uh, that's my alma mater, America's oldest historically black college. And, you know, I learned a lot um, at Lincoln and, you know, Lincoln is a special place in my heart, just like Chester. And, you know, when, when you work the alma mater, there's a lot of, right? There's a lot of, um, uh, you're just excited, right? It's, it's, it's your alma mater and you just want to do things. You just want to, you have the opportunity, opportunity to influence 
um, the narrative. You have opportunity to um, push and promote the school that gave so much to you. So at the time, uh, when I started at Lincoln in, in 2004, I had just transitioned from the newspaper. And at that time, Lincoln hadn't had any full-time sports information director since 1977. So, you know, when I got there, it was a matter of, okay, I have to do a lot of internal things. I have to do a lot of relationship building. I have to do a lot of work, basically, just so that, you know, people can, you know, respect Lincoln from the standpoint that they know they want to get staff and they're going to get quality service. They know that, you know, we're going to be, you know, promoting and pushing things. So, you know, fortunately at, at Lincoln, there was a lot of challenges um, when I started, just because we didn't have that crew, we didn't have the, the software needed to, you know, design programs and things of that they got. I last now at, at, at my start and at the stage at Lincoln, but fortunately, you know, I had people like, you know, Lynn Margolis, Dallas Chaney, Larry Dock at Temple, Bob Hell at the University of Sciences, uh, James Wagner, um, I think he was at White at the time, he ended up going, going to assignments. Ira Thor at New Jersey City, Tom Camillo at Westchester, Greg Goey down at Boise State, and, you know, Ernie LaRosa at, at Johns Hopkins. Uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't afraid to lean on them for help, for support, for guidance, because I think what they saw, they saw that, you know, I really wanted to be good in this profession. Like, I wanted Lincoln to be good. You know, I, I had no idea that I was going to evolve from Lincoln to, again, you know, 15 years later to be a coach out of past president or anything like that. But, um, you know, they, they really helped me. They, uh, they gave me confidence. They, they worked with me. They, um, they, they listened to me. They guided me. They took all my phone calls. I think, I think in this profession, you know, you, you learn that people, um, are willing to help you. You learn that people will make time for you. You learn that, um, you know, that they're just as passionate as, as you are. So for me, once, once I was, um, able to go and, and help and and get them to um, understand what I was trying to do, what my vision was. The sky was the limit, and um, you know I can't thank them enough for for the, um, helping me out at, um, at the start of my career uh, when, at Lincoln when I was a one person shop. But you know working at HBCU, man, you you have to um you know like coming from Chuck, you got to work twice as hard. You got to you got to grind, man. You, you got to, um, nothing's handed to you, nothing's given to you. Thank you, you know, coverage, you know, with working with the newspapers. And, you know, I, I, I never want to make it a race thing with newspapers, but throughout my career, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, I worked at Compton State, which is in Baltimore. I worked at Towson, which is in the same market. And I realized that very quickly that Towson got a lot more coverage in Compton State for, for me doing less work, basically, at Towson. People email me at Towson and say, hey, I mean, got this going on. Can we come out and talk to you? At Coppin, I would have to email like three, four, five times just to get somebody to, to just respond to an email. Um, you know, just to try to come out and do Coppin State campus. So uh so I, I noticed it right away. Uh it, it bothered me a lot. Um, you know, but again, when you work at HBCU you don't have any resources, but you know what? You learn to do so much. And I think working at Lincoln set the foundation for, you know, for my career journey, for my career path of you know, being able to do a lot. You mentioned influencing the narrative. 201 points. I'm sure that's a day you won't forget. But can you elaborate for the listeners who don't know that story? Yeah, so first thing I'll say to these is I'm so glad that Twitter was not around in the film on um, <laughs> uh, December 2nd, 2006. I'm so glad Twitter wasn't around. 
because we went with Byron. So I worked at Lincoln University at the time. We were Division three school, and we played uh, in a tournament in Salem, um, Salem Man National third place game against Ohio State Mary. Uh, we won the game 201 to 78. Uh, during the game, uh, you know, we, we pressed the full, we pressed the full 40 minutes. And Ohio State Marion was overmatched, only had six players. One of the players was a coach. I'm not making this up. Um, one of the players was a coach. And so, you know, one thing led to another. Obviously, it was a good SID. Or started out being a good SID. You know, go check the record board, right? You know, you have 97 points in the first half. Who, who does that? So you, you check the record book, obviously, because you have to be prepared. Uh, once the game was over, uh, we set um, six Division three records. We had a kid scoring 69 points um, in 24 minutes. He made 21 threes on 41 attempts, and which is just six, um, six numbers. But as we were coming home, I had an uneasy feeling in my stomach because um, I knew what it would look like on the outside that, you know, we ran the score up. And, you know, obviously being there in person, I believe that we did because we kept pressure, but that's how Lincoln played at the time. That was the coach's philosophy. So, you know, at that point, even if you have a philosophical difference with the coach, you just, um, you just focus on doing your job at that point. You can't try to be, um, you can't try to reason with anybody. Just focus on you, focus on your area. So I knew we would get a call from the Associated Press, which we did. We got a call from, um, ESPN.com. And, um, you know, we had players speak with, um, with ESPN.com. And unfortunately, one of the biggest mistakes I made at that time, I did not monitor the calls. I did not monitor what our kids were saying. So, you know, naturally, when you see 201 points and then you see the hit, then you see a quote from one of the players is, we were mad because we lost the night before. Our coach tells us to go out and kill the other team with the act. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so ultimately, we got back to campus. We had news, you know, it made national news. We had, um, we had news, news things there, everything else. And then, um, you know, later in the week, you know, we got inquiries from the Baltimore Sun, the New York Times, the Associated Press again. And so, and ESPU or ESPN as well, told people that old show. And so at that point, you know, a lot of people were upset at us. They were bashing us. They were, you know, trying to say that we, you know, ran the fourth with the other. So now you have to spend the narrative. So they were going to come right about us anyway. So I said, well, make sure you get in the fact that Lincoln's the oldest historically black college in America. Make sure you get the fact in that Lincoln Hughes and Sergio Marshall graduated from here. So now you try to spend that and you try to get your information in there, the facts about the university, um, because this is publicity you can't get <laughs> otherwise. So, you know, I was happy that we were able to spin it. And by the middle of the week, once we got to New York Post, once we got to New York Times story, they mentioned that, you know, hey, Mickey University was founded here and they had the history and they had some of our alums. So that, that was good. But 201 points in the men's basketball game that happened. I was there and, you know, had the group, you know, had Facebook groups spin around and, and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I can just imagine how big it would have been. Gosh. You know, kind of touching on that a little bit, in our careers, we tend to do this for the student-athletes, the coaches, and administrators. And one of the high points of your career was the opportunity to promote both a Division Two and Division Three National Player of the Year. Just, you know, in a few words, describe, you know, that achievement and how proud you were for those student-athletes. You know, it's funny, uh, at, at the time, I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. But I think, you know, again, time gives you perspective and 
the older I get, the more I get in the profession. I realized that one, two people that molded a Division two and Division three national player there. And obviously back then times were different. Like you said, we didn't have a lot of social media, so we had to actually do it organically. Where we had to, um, in the case at Lincoln, we had Kyle Myrick, uh, who was a Division three national player of the year. Uh, we basically had to do that through email campaigns and like actually putting flyers in the mail and mailing them to people and mailing them to schools and things of that nature. And then when I got to, uh, Pittstown, um, I had Steven Dennis, who was a Division two national player of the year. And Twitter had just started, but Twitter wasn't the powerful force that it is now, um, at that time. But what I was able to do subtly, in addition to the email campaign, what I was able to do subtly is in every story I wrote about Pittstown men's basketball that year, because Steven Dennis ended up beating the country in scoring. Every story, every time I referred to Steven Dennis, it was Division two National Player of the Year candidate Steven Dennis scored 42 points. Division two National Player of the Year candidate Steven Dennis scored 18 days. So now when you're reading this stuff and you're seeing it, that's in your head at all times. Um, and you know, the best part, the best lesson is that, you know, both Kyle and, um, and Steven were, were um, phenomenal players. They were outstanding, um, you know, men and they were always great with me and they were gracious and, you know, they, they deserved everything. I was just lucky to be able to, um, to document it, um, those, those two years. You know, you have the opportunity to work in media business in general, you know, for quite some time. But can you just speak with the listeners and tell them, you know, why is it important to stay true to yourself even during the hard times? Well, um, I, I think it's important because, you know, we're, we're all going to experience hard times. Uh, but I think if you remain, if you remain true to your core, then you can get through those hard times. Um, so, you know, if you're a person of faith, uh, if you, if you continue to rely on faith on the hard times, you, you, you'll get through. Um, if you, you know, pray all the time, uh, you know, talk with people, meditate, read. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things you can do that, that can help you do that. So, uh, because as soon as you begin changing yourself to somebody else or changing yourself because of your circumstances, that's when you, um, that's when you've lost and, and you've lost all, all focus. Because again, if you're changing yourself for some, for, um, if you're changing yourself, then ultimately the mask has to come off at some point and you're going to be exposed. So if you're true for yourself, there's no mask. Hey, listeners, we have Rob Knox here. And, you know, it's been a pleasure. I've known Rob since 2008, you know, and to have this opportunity today to hear his story through his lens. You know, thank you for Cosida for providing this opportunity. You know, Rob did leave the sports information field for just a little bit when he went to go work at ESPN. Rob, tell our listeners some of the highlights, but also the learning lessons um, that occurred when you had stepped away briefly. So it's interesting, you know, when you grow up, you always think about, I think many of us in, in national communication, we always dream about, okay, I want to work at ESPN. And that's always in the back of your head. But then when you get into the day-to-day trenches of um, what we do, you know, it becomes further and further away. So I had the opportunity to work at ESPN. Uh, it came to me. Um, and this is an opportunity you never know who's watching. But if I could just say one thing to anybody you take away from this podcast, you just never know who, who is watching, but you have to do your best at all times. You have to, um, make excellent part of your spirit because you just never know who, who's watching. So, uh, once I received my Rising Star Award in 2011 at Marco Island, uh, you know, I didn't know, unbeknownst to me, he had seen executives out in the crowd and 
thanks to Lee Forso, I became the punchline. Um, I'm sure my Mark Wilder people will remember that. Uh, I became a punchline during the luncheon, so I guess it made, it made it easier for ESPN to identify me and kind of research me a little bit. But um, yeah, you go through the whole ESPN process. I was at Town at the time. At the time, I loved it. Town uh, was great. Uh, but you know, when you get opportunity to ESPN, you, you just have to take it. So you you go through the process, and it was easy for me to go through the process because I had a really great job to fall back for this and get hired. That would have been bad, of course, because it wasn't working to get it. But um, the ESPN, you know, there, there was a, there was a lot of um, there was some high moments there. Like for example, um, the night that um, Louisville women beat Baylor in the Sweet 16 game, the same night that Louisville men beat Duke um, in the Elite Eight. The game was, you know, that's the Kevin Ware game where he, you know, broke that sweep, broke the um, leg. Uh, we, you know, I made the decision, you know, I made the suggestion that we lead Sports Center with um, Louisville beating Baylor. So that was an undefeated Baylor team coming off a national title. We were breaking right now out of themselves. I just thought it was a bigger story and, and get big, and they, they led with it. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to help shape uh, some coverage of the Utah Notre Dame rivalry as as the college basketball sport team, uh, with providing for the first time um, next next level stats for the final for the fourth meeting of the year between Utah and Notre Dame in the final four, and that was something that I saw coming, so we were able to prepare for that. So you know, when you get the opportunity, you have to you have to prepare, you have to do the work, and you have to. Um, you know, be, be able to pitch that and, and, and show the why behind it. So, you know, some of the lessons I learned is, you know, you got to continue pay attention to detail. You know, there were some mistakes I made that was just careless and, and it happens, but I also learned that there's a different type of, um, of writing style. There's a different type of um, thinking level at ESPN um, where you really have to apply critical thought to a lot of um, situations. You just get casually be like, well, Let's just do this, or let's just do that. Um, you know, one of the biggest methods I had, uh, which since I don't know how it happened, I think I hit a button and it made the entire um, box for the preseason NFL game between the Eagles and Browns disappear off of ESPN.com. I got in trouble for it. You know, it was, it was a big deal. It was preseason football, but the NFL series, and anytime you go to ESPN.com, you know, you expect to see stuff there. So, you know, so, so, so that was, you know, that, that was a rough. A rough night, and you know, took about 45 minutes to get it back on ESPN.com. So, yeah, yeah to say I was scared there. And then, I mean, it was, you know, uh, you know, one thing about ESPN is you know, you use equipment there that no one else in the world uses. So, and you use um, applications that only ESPN is only specific to ESPN. So, there's like no planning, no training for it. But I'm thankful for the two years I had at ESPN because I Felt like they, uh, I felt like it made me stronger and I felt, you know, I felt for the first time in my life and, you know, I needed that. And, you know, at the time when you want through it, you know, it's not a good feeling, but when you look back on it, you, um, you appreciate the struggle, you appreciate the hard times, you appreciate the lessons because again, um, it lets you know that you're human and it lets you know that you can overcome it. You know, I've known you for a while, Rob, and some of the words to describe you are passionate, hardworking, personable. But one of the words that I have heard you use many times before is intentional. Can you just share with our listeners, you know, how has that helped you and how can it help others that are starting out in this business? Uh, yeah, I, 
and it's, it's, I, I just really became more intentional within the last two, two and a half years because I felt that uh, operating with intentionality is such an underrated leadership trait for one. And, you know, I consider myself a leader and I aspire to um, to do more in college athletics to impact more lives. Um, but, you know, to people that's listening, I would say, you know, approaching your day with intentionality allows you to show up with purpose Give your strategy some life, and it also fuels your soul, right? Uh, being intentional also allows you to chase your dreams without worrying about success or failure. And then at the end of the day, you know, if you're praying, being persistent, and displaying patience, you can make those dreams a reality. So I think intentionality is, is key in, in everything that you do because it allows you to operate in a way that's going to move you closer to where you want to get to. All right, fans. I'm Denise Thompson, a member of the COSIDA Executive Board. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Through My Lens with COSIDA Past President Rob Knotts. Rob, we appreciate you and all that you've done for the field of athletic communications. Take care. Take care. Thank you for having me.